Welcome to Adventures in Behaviour Change, the Little Challenges podcast, with me, Katie Elliott. It's a place to find ideas, inspiration and practical tools to help make the messy business of being human just a little bit easier. Join us. today's show, my guest is Rob Moore, the co-founder and director of Behaviour Change, a not-for-profit social enterprise that helps people to do the right thing. Over the last 12 years, he's built up a wealth of experience in using behavioural insight to encourage positive social and environmental change. Rob Moore, it's a pleasure to talk with you today. Hello. Hello. Can you tell us a little about what you do and why you're interested in the process of behaviour change? I guess I've always been fascinated by people and why they do the things they do. Probably a lot of people are, I guess, you know, if one of those people that likes people watching, you'll know that you're the kind of person who's just interested in the way that people tick. And I guess I just took that a step further and made a, a bit of a career out of it. Essentially, where that's taken me is trying to develop ways to encourage people to behave in a a more positive way. And what we mean by that is more socially or or environmentally responsible. So the things that I work on are particular challenging public behaviours that whoever we're working with is trying to, to do something about. And that could be anything from encouraging people to eat more healthily to encouraging people to not drop litter or save energy or manage their money better so they don't get into debt. And all of these behaviours are things that require a bit of a, a new way of thinking to do something about them. You know, they're not things that can be tackled by traditional marketing techniques. We need to find new ways and innovative ways to tackle them. So that's essentially what we do. So does that mean that you understand things about how people can get themselves to do things that they want to do or need to do, but don't necessarily find themselves doing? Because very often we'll say, yes, I know I should exercise or I should eat more fruit and veg or I should get more sleep or I'd like to do this, that and the other. But the reality is we say that for year after year and nothing really changes. Do you know some things that can make it easier for people to go from saying what they should do to actually implementing some of those behaviours. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it, that we constantly do things that we know aren't right or logical or sensible or helpful or healthy. Occasionally catch ourselves and think, well, why on earth am I doing this? And it's (laughs) it's essentially just a factor of the way in which we're built. I mean, from a behavioural point of view, and I won't go too much into theory today, but there's a a prominent theory about behaviour where we we have two types of thinking. One of those is slow and effortful and conscious. So the kind of rational thinking brain that we're using now and that we use when we make kind of complicated decisions. But we use that rarely, and that is quite evolutionarily recent. The brain that we use most of the time is fast and automatic and emotionally led and subconscious and intuitive. Uh, We're designed like that because we're presented by choices constantly. And if we stood and made slow decisions about everything, we'd never get anything done at all. You know, if you think of yourself in the supermarket presented with thousands upon thousands of different products, if you made a rational choice about 
everything you bought in there, you'd be there three days later. You know, we make very quick decisions just because we have to, just to live. And that's a part of our evolution. But because of that, things like eating more healthy, for example, we all want to do that. But most of the time, our fast automatic brain is in control. And so we're not making kind of conscious decisions, right, this particular meal, or I'm going to buy this particular product. We're just going with the flow of life and the things that we normally do just take control because we're not consciously thinking about them. Mm. And would it be fair to say that some people in the advertising world understand quite a lot about how to get Hmm. us to do things in emotionally driven impulsive ways which is their job really (laughs) because if you're there to promote something you really want people to be taking it up but it can be difficult for us if we don't understand that that's what's going on because we triggered into behaviors that perhaps we don't really want but we don't understand what's going on underneath the surface yeah absolutely and a prime example of that is things like if you're booking a hotel or a flight or a holiday or something and you'll be on a site like that and there'll be constant little messages saying only six seats left or five people looking at this right now and all these kind of little messages that put you into a bit of a panic and make you hit that buy button quicker than perhaps you would otherwise and those are behavioral tactics born out of behavioral theory that they're using to encourage you to do something and you know you're right advertising in the kind of more historical sense absolutely uses emotion to get us to do something but i guess from our perspective we can use those tactics for good purposes rather than just commercially driven purposes like that so the good thing about understanding more about why we behave in these irrational ways but also how that irrationality exists in patterns means that we can use that knowledge to help guide people in the right direction mm-hmm. and more often than not to use the eating more healthy example again it's things that people already want to do but they're just not quite getting there mm. uh, litter is another good example very very few people actually want to throw litter on the ground and they know it's wrong but they just end up doing it for whatever reason happens on that day. Mm. So with these things, we can use what we know about behaviour and about the tactics for changing it just to nudge people in the right direction towards Mm. where they already want to go. So part of this is about helping people to design environments that support the behaviours that they want and discourage the behaviours that they don't want. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it depends on what the behaviour is that we're trying to encourage. Sometimes it might be about reducing a barrier or reducing what we call friction, which is Hmm. something that's working against what the behaviour is that that we're trying to encourage. In other times, it may be there isn't necessarily a challenge there. It's just that somebody hasn't thought about it. And that may be just about making something uh, more obvious, more salient. So if we took a really practical example... Let's say someone who finds themselves eating more snack food in the evenings when they're tired and they come home from work than they'd like and not going out and exercising, which is what they think they would like to be doing, but it never seems to happen. So after a long day at work, getting home thinking, I can't be bothered to go and do a run or go to the gym or whatever it might be, and then flopping on the sofa and picking up something to eat and finding themselves there two hours later feeling perhaps a little bit more rested but a bit fed up about the whole thing and that happening night after night because I often talk to people who describe situations a bit like that it's not unfamiliar that kind of experience so in terms of reducing friction and adding in maybe some triggers or some prompts Mm. to help the desirable behaviors 
in a really practical real world setting, what kinds of things can we do if we find ourselves in a situation like that? What could we be doing to make it a bit easier for ourselves? Mm, it's interesting. I mean, with something like that, there isn't necessarily any friction there. You know, there's nothing preventing you from when you get home going out for a run, apart from maybe your fast automatic emotional brain that, that takes over and says, I'm tired, I just want to nice sit on the sofa. And you, you almost automatically just go and do that because you're following your natural instincts. Um, you know, and then only later you might realise I haven't gone for a run. So in a situation like that, like you say, it's about triggers or prompts probably. So making the thing that you want to do more obvious or attractive or salient in some way. So it might be, you know, it might be about when you are thinking consciously about it, perhaps in the morning when you're thinking, right, I definitely want to go for a run tonight, I'm going to do it. Put in your running shoes in the middle of the floor so that when you open the door when you come home, they're right there and mm-hmm. you can't miss them. You know, mm-hmm. you, you're stepping over them in order to get to the sugary snacks or the sofa. And something as simple as that might just provide the prompt that you need. We talk a lot about being in the right place at the right time uh, in yeah. terms of the tactics that we use. And that's often the way with behaviours like this is you think about it at the wrong moment. You think about, oh, I must do something, I must do that, I must do that. And, but then when it comes to the actual moment when, when you can or should be doing it, you're not thinking about it anymore. So more often than not, with behavioural interventions, that we're thinking about where is the behaviour occurring and at what time the behaviour that we're trying to influence and how close can we get to that moment in order to influence it? Because otherwise, if people aren't going to be kind of open to that change. And that's certainly something that people can think about individually is rather than maybe putting something in their calendar that says, I'm going to go for a run tonight, you might not look at that at the right time when you go for a run, but think about when is the likely time that you're going to go for a run, put a prompt there in that moment. Some sort of alarm on your phone, perhaps, or an environmental prompt, like you said, with the shoes, so you see it at the right moment. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I use, I use reminders on my phone all the time because I'm rubbish at remembering things. And they're absolutely the right place, right time prompt. I mean, you can even set some of those up so they only tell you at a certain location. So as you walk through your front door, you could get a little prompt saying, go for a run. There are things that are designed to help us. I don't know if you can explain it. I suspect you would probably understand what's going on in my brain when this happens. But I've noticed that when I set an intention in advance to do something, so if at the start of the day or the day before, I made a plan to do something and that included, let's say, going for a run. And I was really clear about the fact that I was going to do that. My likelihood of going for a run, having set that intention and possibly written it down, when I get to that point is much greater than if I've got a sort of vague notion that it would be good for me to be doing some running. It's as if I've set time on a mental calendar that I can't see. And I find that it's as if I've kind of programmed something So I can find myself doing it even without thinking about doing it. So it's not a habitual behavior, but it's as if I've set my internal GPS and it's kind of taking me in a direction without me really thinking about it. What's happening there? Do you know? Yeah, well, something to kind of warn about, I guess, with intentions is that intentions don't always equal actions. Mm. And that's something which we talk about. However, intention is a pretty good start. So just being aware of something doesn't mean you're going to do it intending to do something gets you a step closer but it still doesn't actually mean you're you're necessarily going to do it but I think there was an interesting thing that you just mentioned about possibly writing it down and I think that's potentially the game changer there there's a body of theory about commitment and about committing to things 
that says that if people commit to something and that ideally the strongest commitment should be in some way public and also in some way physical, mm-hmm. then they're much more likely to follow through with it. So your act of writing down in a calendar note or on a note yourself on the kitchen table, go for a run this evening, that act makes it much more likely that you'll actually follow through with it. So making it in some way external rather than just inside your own head all exactly. of the time. Setting an intention is one thing, but then actually yeah. committing to it by taking a physical action of some kind. Yeah. And so you said also by making that public. So let's say if I called you up and said, Rob, I'm going to go for a run tomorrow evening at five, yeah. that would probably also make me more likely. Is that right? That would make you much more likely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like a staged thing. Just committing to yourself would definitely make you more likely. But if you did that and, and told me that you were going to go for a run, potentially even asked me to text the time that you were going to go just to make sure that would make you a whole lot more likely to do it essentially we like to be consistent with our internal promises to ourselves ideally that's our ideal mental state but we also find it easy to get around those internal promises if we haven't made them external so i think you're absolutely right it's about externalizing those commitments so i come home from work i've set my intention the night before i've written something down I've called you up and I said, Rob, I'm going to go for this run. Perhaps you could send me a text. So I get home from work. I've got a notification on my phone. And then you text me and say, Katie, have you gone for that run yet? And I look at my shoes on the floor. All of these things have made it much more likely. Yeah. I'm not trying to co-opt you into getting me fit, by the way, Rob. And this is purely hypothetical. <laughs> I'm thinking other things I could possibly do that would make it less likely that I continued my evening behavior of flopping on the sofa and eating snacks. Possibly if I had a load of stuff on the sofa, so actually putting a physical obstacle, if I can't sit down on my sofa, if I've got a load of washing there that needs sorting, that would be another thing that would stop me from Mm. going into default mode, I think. And also if I didn't happen to have the snacks to hand, they were in some way inaccessible or I really needed to go to the shops to buy them. All of those things are creating friction, aren't they, that are going to make it a little bit less likely. Yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, I said earlier on, there isn't necessarily a friction to not doing it. Creating a friction to doing the wrong thing is really clever if you had the snacks, but you deliberately put them somewhere where you might forget or you wouldn't normally look. Creating friction for the wrong behaviours is a, a really interesting addition, yeah. In these conversations, I love to try and come up with a little challenge that people could try for themselves. Mm. So are there any elements of what we've been talking about that people can start to be applying in their own lives to help them take more control of how Mm. they're behaving? I think everybody will have something that they have been wanting to do but haven't quite got there yet. There'll be something that they just haven't quite got round to. And a little challenge could be recognising that thing and perhaps going through these steps that we've talked about. So first working out, is there a barrier or is there friction to me doing that thing? Um, And if there is, then looking at ways to get rid of that barrier or reduce that friction. Then thinking about, can I make the thing that I want to do more salient? So the shoes in the middle of the floor example, Mm -hmm. thinking about how could I make it more obvious for myself to, to do this thing. It might be if you're taking some pills and you keep forgetting, you know, where can I put them? Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to miss them. Thirdly, thinking about the right time, right place. So actually, I may be thinking about this behavior quite consciously now because I'm doing the, the little challenge. But when it comes to actually doing it, 
I may not be. So what is the perfect time and place to nudge myself to do this behavior? Hmm. And then finally, the commitment piece. So can I find a way to externalize my commitment to myself to do this thing? Can I physically write something down, sign something, whatever it is? And even could I make that public in some way? Could I tell somebody? Could I put it on a website? Could I write about it in my blog and therefore kind of have to do it because I've told the universe? So maybe just thinking about a thing, whatever it is that you're not doing and try to follow through those, those steps. Mm. It's really fun stuff when you start playing with it, isn't it? Yeah. It's amazing how much easier things can become without lots of effort and without lots of willpower, which I think is a significant thing. It doesn't have to be something that is difficult or uncomfortable, actually. Like you said, not flagellating yourself and trying to rely on willpower alone to do stuff because then you'll just feel guilty. And, you know, we all do it all the time. I see it as kind of gaming the system. We've got certain things running and it's just about how you can use them to your advantage rather than fighting them the whole time. Yeah, gaming your own system. Exactly, exactly. If people are interested to know more about the work that you do at Behaviour Change Mm. and the kind of projects you're involved with, how can they find you online? So our website is behaviourchange.org.uk and that's the English spelling with a U. We've got various case studies of projects that we've done on there you know we update that as we complete and evaluate new projects so there's a reasonable amount of stuff on there including our thoughts on behavior and what it means that's probably the best place to look fantastic and do you have a sense of where this work might go in the future you obviously have a passion for it where would you like it to go for you personally and how do you think it could change things more widely in the world i particularly would like to do more on climate change i mean a lot of the behaviors we work on indirectly affect climate change now energy saving being a very good example but it's becoming such a pressing issue that we need to find more ways to really make a difference on it using the Mm. skills that we have it's fascinating to talk with you i wish we had several times more time (laughs) to discuss things but i'm really grateful thank you for your time today rob pleasure absolute pleasure Thanks for listening. If you know someone who might enjoy today's episode, please pass it on. And if you'd like to hear more from Adventures in Behaviour Change, subscribe on iTunes. Last but not least, if you'd like to help me grow the podcast, please leave an iTunes review. Each one makes a real difference. Until next time, bye for now. Adventures in Behaviour Change is brought to you by the Little Challenges Project. To find out more, visit littlechallenges.com.